A reading from the Gospel of John. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, has brought them all, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of the Lord. I don't believe in joy, beauty, goodness, or truth. I don't believe in love, which I guess means that I don't believe in God. I don't trust them, any of them. Don't trust the joy, don't trust the beauty, don't trust the goodness, the truth, don't trust the love, certainly don't trust the God. There just isn't enough evidence to take the risk. Joy is never that joyful. Beauty, not that beautiful. Goodness, not really that good. And in the end, the truth is too mundane. And love, when it feels like love, real love, it hurts. And God, well, I don't need to tell you about God. Sometimes I think I don't believe in them because I expect too much of them. I want joy to be rapturous, continually rapturous. I want beauty that singes my eyes, goodness that melts the heart of the world, and truth. I want truth to be unmovable, and love, and God. Well, I don't need to tell you about those. But then I think, hey, so it's my fault, huh? This is my fault then? Like, come on, I expect too much of truth. I expect too much of goodness. Is it even possible to have too high of expectations of truth or goodness? How can it be possible to expect too much of love, of God? So it can't be me. It's got to be them. What should I do? Like, lower my expectation of love? I mean, what, I could come to believe in God if only I learned to expect a little less from God? 
So it can't be me, it's them. Truth be told, you know, sometimes, like, what I, what I really think is that I don't believe in these things because I've never really followed them long enough to know them. I kind of checked out early out of fear. Fear, fear because I need them so much. I need joy to be rapturous, and I need that beauty that singes my eyes and that goodness that melts the heart of the world and truth to be transforming. And love and God, well, I'm afraid to even tell you what I need love and God to be because I need them most of all, and I'm afraid that they just won't be, well, you know, what I need. I can't bear the thought of being disappointed because if these things turn out to be less than I can imagine them to be, it would sink me, deflate me, once and for all. It's just not worth the risk. I have to stay alive, right? Like, that's my first job, right? Stay alive. But, you know, like living, like really living, like fully living, more than just staying alive, which seems impossible without joy and goodness and beauty and truth and love and God, well, that kind of living seems like a luxury to stay alive. That's, that's the first priority. I mean, am I wrong? I mean, it's not worth the risk. It's like today, I have this story that I kind of want to tell you. I mean, that I've been wanting to tell you for a long time because it happened to me and it touched me and it touched on these things that I've been talking about. And when I tell myself this story, it almost makes me think I could believe in these things I've been talking about, believe in love and Maybe God, but I'm not prepared to go that far, maybe. Not ready to follow that one to the end, even when I tell myself this story, because, you know, it's, it's just a story. And believing is God, in God is a pretty big risk to take, you know, on a story. But I thought, you know, I want to tell this story. It's time to tell this story. It's the perfect time to tell this story, because it's like something that happened to me, when I was 15, in the spring, and it's kind of like the spring, and it's about love. Maybe, maybe I could just tell it, you know, without needing it to mean anything or do anything. So let's just, yeah, forget, forget this is just a story. So I'm in the 10th grade. I'm 15, and it's spring, warm and bright, and school will be out for the summer soon. And my friend Scott Satterley, who is 16 and has his driver's license, just got a car from his grandpa. Everything makes me happy. Everything seems almost perfect. And on this everything makes me seem happy, almost perfect day, Scott Satterley and I decide that we would leave school during the lunch hour and go to Northern Lights record store because we heard that they had this videotape of the Ramones concert, and if you asked them, they would play it for you in the store. So we went, drove with the windows down, and we sang Ramones songs as loud as we could out the window, shouting, I want to be sedated, and I want to be your boyfriend, at the people we passed, and, 
and they mostly smiled because it was spring and they could understand how we felt. We fell into the store alive and like more punk rock than we had a right to. I said to the guy behind the counter, yeah, we heard that you have a videotape of this Ramones concert and before I could even finish the sentence, he spun around, slapped the tape into the video cassette machine and it began to play. And we moved our heads and our shoulders in this jerky way that might embarrass me to think about now. And there's also the outside chance that, but it's not clear in my memory, but we actually, I think, might have pogoed right there in the store. So what? Fifteen, spring, the Ramones on a videotape machine. Go ahead and pogo, I would say to the young me. Pogo, be alive. I remember doing whatever I was doing. I'm, I'm going to say pogoing. And I closed my eyes and I listened to the music and I felt the sun coming through the storefront window hot on my face. I imagined I was at CBGB's and that I was seeing the Ramones live and I was pogoing. And when I opened my eyes, there was this girl standing right in front of me, flat-footed, with a record held in front of her, held in her two hands. And she was looking straight at me with a sort of worried but curious look on her face. I stopped jumping up and down, and because it was that day, the day that it was, I smiled, big smiled, and I laughed at myself. And because of the magic of what day that was, she smiled, and then she laughed at me too. And man... I don't have to tell you about love, but I wish someone had told me. I mean, she, just right then, when she smiled and laughed, everything inside of me just like died and then came alive again. And we just smiled at each other and laughed again. I was reborn again, and we talked, and, and we kept talking, and we talked about records and bands and politics. Well, I'm, I don't know, politics. I said, you know, um, I think Ronald Reagan is, like, bad. <laughs> and she said, yeah, yeah, me too. And she said she was from Madison, Wisconsin, that she was in St. Paul for a tournament. And I said, like, a sports tournament? And she said, no, no, a speech tournament. And I said, oh. And she said, I think sports are like, you know? And I said, yeah. I think that too. And then Scott Satterley said we had to go. And that seemed like the most painful thing that anyone could ever say. And I said to her that I have to go. And I swear by the look on her face, it seemed like it was the most painful thing anybody's ever said to her too. So because I was instantly and deeply in love with her, and because it was spring and the Ramones were playing, I said, you have to let me come to Madison, Wisconsin to see you. She said, how will you get there? And I said, Scott will drive me. And Scott said, no, I won't. I'm not driving you to Madison, Wisconsin. And I said, um, I'll take the bus. I'll take the Greyhound bus. She said, you would? And I said, I would. When? This Saturday. This Saturday? I said, yeah, yeah. Uh, will you meet me at the bus station? 
She said, what time? I said, um, how about whatever the closest bus to 10 a.m. is? And she said, she said, okay. She said, are you really going to come? And I said, I really am. Scott pulled on my arm, and I ran out of the store with him jumping up and down and skipping, and I sang, I want to be your boyfriend to Scott Satterley, all the way back to school. Jesus says the sheep will recognize the voice of the shepherd. Jesus says that we will recognize the voice of God speaking to us in the world that God will be with us. Jesus says the sheep will run from the voice of a stranger. Jesus says we will run from the voice of the bandits in this world. Jesus says we will not listen to the thieves and the bandits. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says he comes that we may have life, real life, big life that we will be fully alive. I say that this is not true. I say that there are people begging to hear the voice of God, calling them to come through the gate to the pasture. I say I cannot hear Jesus' voice calling me, and that I have listened to the thieves and the bandits so many times, felt like I was being ripped off, that I was dying, being destroyed. How can Jesus say people will recognize his voice and only follow him? It just doesn't seem true. There's so many people in so much pain who've been so deceived. Jesus says, I will hear his voice and recognize it. That I will run from the thieves. Jesus says, I will recognize his voice. Jesus says, I will recognize only the voice of God. Um, so, uh, I didn't know that Madison was like five hours away. <laughs> and I didn't really think to get her phone number. So, I arrive at 1040 in the morning. I put together the worst approximation of a Ramones outfit the world had ever seen. I just didn't have the right clothes, you know, but I wanted to look good for her, like cool, like punk rock, you know? I didn't have a leather jacket, so my jeans were new. I had to cut holes in them on the bus ride there. And for some reason, I wore really dirty socks. I mean, I guess it was about as punk rock as I could manage, the dirty socks. But I was 15. I used to be so weird about clothes, you know? I used to worry about my look all the time. I guess you kind of grow out of those things. Anyway, I'm standing there waiting and looking, and she doesn't show up. She does not show up by 11. She does not show up by 11.40. She does not show up by 3.20, which is when I have to catch the bus ride the five hours back to St. Paul to be home when my parents told me to. She never shows up. She never shows up. You know what I think? I think maybe I do recognize the voice of God. 
I hear Jesus calling me, but I ignore it. I ignore it because I don't trust my ears. I don't trust my ears because I want it to be true. I want it to be more true than anything. I want to believe what Jesus says. Jesus says, I will recognize the voice of God, and I will only follow that voice. This is what Jesus says about me. But I ignore it because I don't trust my own ears. I don't trust myself. But maybe the real truth is I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I follow that voice, it won't be everything I desperately want it to be, that it will hurt, that it will, I will be ripped off, conned, and that will kill me, destroy me like the thieves and the bandits. I would rather die at the hands of the thieves and the bandits or die from my own fear than die from the pain of realizing that I'd been ripped off by God. It's too much to risk. She never shows up. That is how the scenario ended every time I imagined actually going through with it. (laughs) This is the scene I imagined, and this is the scene I described to my dad when I tell him that I'd changed my mind and that I'm not going. He asked me why I wanted to go in the first place, and I said, blurt it out, because I'm in love with her. And then I felt embarrassed and said to my dad, do you think I'm a joke? Do you think I'm a joke? I'm 15 and I met a girl in a record store for a half hour four days ago, and now I say I'm in love with her? He said, I don't think you're a joke. I said, how can I be in love? It's stupid and it hurts to think of her, and I can't go because if she's not there, then I'll never be able to move again and I'll die. And he said, you could be in love. You should go. You probably won't die. But what if she's not there? I'll die. My dad said, what if she is? So I went. And the ride and my lame outfit were about the way I imagined them. And I did get there at 1040. And I got off the bus, and I stood there on Mendota Street, and I looked across the street, and I could just almost see part of the lake. But I couldn't. And she wasn't there. Wasn't there at 11. She wasn't there at 11.40. And at 12 o'clock, my dad walked up to me said he was parked just around the corner. He'd give me a ride home. We walked to his car. I got in next to him, and he gave me his hand. And I squeezed it in both of mine, and I cried, sobbed all the way home. Cried so hard like I was sinking, deflating. But I remember thinking that it hurt. It hurt, but that I had never felt so alive. 
what if Jesus is right? If I do recognize the voice of God. And maybe if I follow that voice, it doesn't mean that there will be no disappointment. It doesn't mean that there won't be the pain. Maybe instead it just means that Jesus will be with me. Hold my hand. Let me cry. Take me home.